Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Welcome to the Middle Seats Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm your host, Andrew O'Shea. Welcome to the show. We have a lot to get to today. Let's meet our co-host. He's the man who you don't even need to say a word to just keep him in your heart. Mr. Nate Lungarini, how are you doing? Fantastic, Drew. (laughs) Well, you took my bit. He's the guy who you would talk loud to get rid of, Mr. Jay Kensler. Hello. (laughs) I I thought I was the opposite. I'm the guy who talks loud and drives people away. That's fair. Yeah, that's fine. I guess they both work. (laughs) Or speak loud to make sure I understand things. Why am I roasting myself? That's your job. You know how hard it is to talk with a whisper, like, on purpose? My throat hurts a little bit. I might have to go on the IL for the rest of this episode. I'm I'm pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord! <laughs> we are starting and off right tonight. We are off and running. I think we both we all have a little bit of heat fatigue. It is sweltering in the northeast. Yeah, I'm dripping sweat. This is what they call a heat wave, folks. Uh, do the right thing style. Nate has AC at least. Uh, Jake is in a closet Again. and shirtless. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Rocky montage for him. <laughs> I, I just don't have AC. And I'm trying to be nice without the fan. So if I start to swelter and if I pass out of a uh, heat stroke in the middle of this episode, <laughs> Nate takes over. Just know you're getting a lesser quality. Of, Nate uh, will continue this show podcast. without us. Yeah. One man show. I can, I can talk. <laughs> it might not be good, but I can talk. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you don't get the hint from my whispering, the Middle East podcast is reviewing A Quiet Place Part 2 today. Our show is typically divided into three segments. Our first segment is Lobby Talk. Jake will introduce the topic in a bit. Uh, it's an exciting one. Summer movies are back. He'll get into the specifics of that in a moment. Then we've got our news segment where we go back and forth on several news stories. And then, like I said, we have our feature review, which is of one of the big summer movies that is kind of kicking off this season, Quiet Place Part 2. So with that, I'm going to hand it off to Mr. Hensler for our lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. I'm so excited that movies are finally back, and especially that it's summer movie season. That's just that's all I want to talk about. I just want to talk about movies. And Let's I was go. Like, Let's go. I, yeah, that's that was really about it. Like I don't. I want to keep it simple. I want to keep it easy. And I figured let's just each touch on two movies that we're super excited about. One blockbuster that you listeners probably know is coming out, and then maybe one sleeper that you might not know is coming out. And we just gush and go to town. And I think, believe it or not. I think I'm most excited for, as far as blockbusters go, for The Suicide Squad, mainly because of the cast and James Gunn. <laughs> um, the trailer looks super fun. It looks different, but like a better, good different than the original Suicide Squad. And I just love the the shark and the starfish and James Gunn and John Cena and Idris Elba. Like, there's just so much to be excited for that I really hope they actually nail it this time and. James Gunn can... Imagine he was the one that got DC up and running. Everybody gushes over Zack Snyder. I think it's James Gunn. So I'm excited for that. Yeah. Nate, with your little chuckle, was that going to be your answer? No, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm not on the DC train that, that much yet. But I do think it's a 
hilarious that we can't get through a single episode without bringing up the DCEU. In <laughs> I some would capacity. love to, but <laughs> if if Jake didn't bring it up, I would have because that was going to be my answer initially. So I'm going to audible when it's my turn. But yes, I completely agree, Jake. Mm-hmm. It does look so much fun. Yeah. I really, I mean, the first trailer for the first one did too. So I'm I'm hoping I'm not fooled once and fooled twice. But I don't know. I'm a, I think it looks good. Yeah, I mean, like we we talked about the trailer a couple episodes ago. Uh, I feel like this isn't like top on the radar for a lot of people yet. Yeah. They kind of did the initial like welcome to the marketing push when Godzilla vs. Kong came out and they've kind of taken a step back and kind of let some other movies that may, we might be talking about in a couple of minutes take precedent in terms of getting their marketing out. It, expect it to really ramp up in the next couple of weeks and Warner Brothers bludgeoning you about getting excited for this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And I... I all you need is the name neck recognition of James Gunn in the cast for me. And I, I was in, and the trailer, you know, sold me as I talked about a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. I'm most psyched for John Cena. I think, I think he's going to be <laughs> something else in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Already got a spinoff plan for him. Yeah. Potentially a goofier Captain America, which could definitely be fun. So probably more homicidal too, as well. Well, and that, you don't wear, you don't wear a toilet thing on your head and not be homicidal. Mm hmm. And get an R rating. <laughs> and get an R rating, all, all, right? Also that. Oh, my God. I, I didn't even mention that. The R rating should be so much fun, especially with James Gunn. He's pretty out there with his humor and his and his uh, blood and stuff like that. I hope they let him go to town with this movie. I really do. So I, I took Andrew's big one. I wonder if I'm going to take Nate's sleeper. Um, but I'm really excited for The Green Knight. Mm. Ever since the trailer dropped, the cast... And it's the director of a very small movie called A Ghost Story, which I liked a lot. It's a very uniquely directed movie, also really well acted. Uh, I liked it a lot. I thought it was an interesting premise, had some interesting stuff to say. So the fact that he's going to do this tale of the Green Knight, I can't even quite put my finger on what the entire thing is going to be like. And I'm just so excited for it. I just I love the feel of it. Every time I watch the trailer, it's really all about feel and tone. And I think it looks really kind of gritty and intense, but also in a fun way. And I'm I'm really hoping it's it's I'm hoping it's good. I hope it does well. See, I didn't bother to list it as mine because actually I thought Nate was going to take it as his sleeper because a couple of I don't know if it was on the podcast or off the podcast. We talked about him being deep into the Green Knight Reddit, which I didn't know was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to bring that up momentarily. Yeah, uh, the movie subreddit, just the topical one. I don't know if there's a subreddit for this yet, but who knows? Um they're, they're all over this movie. They really dig the look of it. And the the Reddit community definitely is my demographic. So, yeah, I'm, I'm also excited for this one. This wasn't my pick, so don't worry. You didn't steal anything yet, Jake. Oof, but Wipe the sweat off my brow. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, um, but, yeah, so this this is a good A24 pick. Like, it, yeah. even if you don't know movies too much, you might have heard that name slung around for the last couple of Oscar seasons. They've really picked it up in the last couple of award seasons and yeah this this looks really cool really creepy but still high fantasy stuff which is not a mix you see all the time um almost looks like a horror movie in some parts the word i would use watching the trailer is uh mesmerizing it's very it's got very captivating visuals both in color and framing and stuff like that david lowry is a really good indie director jake you mentioned a ghost story but he's also done uh some other stuff like ain't them body saints and he did like one of the weirdest disney live action remakes with pete's dragon like he's got a very specific style that i think will lend itself well me and a buddy of mine from albany have been anticipating this even pre-pandemic so we this is like a white whale movie for us 
you know, where it's kind of like we've been waiting for it for so long. It's probably the expectations aren't very fair to it, but I just hope it delivers. I mean, it, the cast is great. You got Dev, you got Rooney's in it, right? And Edgerton, it's a good group. 100%. It's really just the visuals. I, cause I really don't know much about the story at all, but the visuals to me are just striking and it feels it, like a 24, but also feels a little hereditary midsummer kind of vibes. And I love both of those. So if it's anything like that quality wise or in tone, I'm in, I'm excited. Alrighty, I'll go next. Uh, so we'll keep the superhero train rolling. Jake's going to go with DC. I'll go Marvel with Black Widow. This is in a weird spot. I think I'm more interested to see what Shang-Chi and Eternals do, but Black Widow is the official start of Phase 4 in the Correct. MCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Phase 4. Basically, post-Thanos, post-Infinity Saga, and it's still a prequel at the same time. So it's going to be in a weird mix of places. And I'm also just excited to see what Marvel does with it. Uh, she's been overdue for a while. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of in the same headspace as you where I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm excited for it. But like, I don't expect anything revolutionary for it. I expect it to be like, it, I'll have a good time with it. It's entertaining. It'll land right in the middle of the MCU like catalog. But it's still nice to have those movies back, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's, you know, as good as like, uh, you know, a Captain America first Avenger or something like that, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. It's another quality hit. And I was I was with you on on that, Nate. I'm also very excited for Black Widow. I was kind of torn between the two, but I went I went a little rogue. <laughs> yeah. And like in terms of leads, I think Scarlett Johansson is the best female lead that Marvel has had. There's a couple up there that come close in terms of character development, but we've spent the most time with yeah. Scarlett as Black Widow here. So mm-hmm. It's nice to see her finally get her movie now almost, what, a year and a half past when we were supposed to get it? Yeah. Uh, And they built a great support crew around her with Florence Pugh and David Harbour and Rachel Weisz. Absolutely. There's no reason not to be excited when you see those names. Yeah, seriously. Mm -hmm. The only thing that doesn't get me hyped is the posters that have been pretty generic so far, (laughs) but Marvel's already struggled with those a little bit. Yeah, the initial teaser was fine, but yeah, all the the regular one sheets are like, yeah. (laughs) I hope the action is good because it's like spy, you know, top assassin kind of stuff. So I hope if we could get some Winter Soldier vibes too, that would be amazing. But even as far as the cast, I'm excited to get David Harbour into the MCU. I I personally have a crush on Florence Pugh, but I also think she's a great actress. I'm excited (laughs) to see her in the MCU. Like, there's a lot to be excited for. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, and then on to my sleeper hit, if you will. Uh, the trailer for this actually just recently dropped. Uh, Reminiscence is appearing to be some sort of weird memory-based time travel shenaniganry uh, <laughs> starting, <laughs> starting Hugh Jackman. And if you watch the trailer and you get Inception vibes, you're not far off the mark because this is made by Christopher Nolan's brother, Jonathan Nolan. Yeah, and Lisa Lisa Joy is the big. I think she might officially be the director. She's the co-creator. Mm-hmm. So you got your Westworld vibes there. It looks mind scrambly. I'm hoping that it isn't just trying to be a like Inception ripoff and does its own thing. And at the very least, high concept sci-fi has always gotten my attention. So color oh, me yeah. excited for stuff like this. Yeah, that's right up Nate's alley for sure. Especially with an Enola name attached to it, forget about it. Yeah, and to make up for what was lost during Tenet, <laughs> whatever brain cells I had left at that point. Yeah, it, we were debating talking about this trailer, um, and we held off because there was another one we wanted to talk about instead. 
my two cents in short is that it's like this could go either really well or really terribly. There's not a lot of in-between wiggle room, which is like, you know, I appreciate movies like that that take big swings. This will be another one of those where it's kind of like, can the Nolan protégés or the tree of Nolan actually make something work out? Jake, do you remember eons ago when we reviewed Transcendence? Uh, maybe it's the title that's reminding me of it, but that was directed by yeah. his longtime uh, cinematographer, Wally Pfister. And that just, that clearly was trying to be a Christopher Nolan movie and just did not work at all. So it's a matter yeah. of like, how how tight is the storytelling and how tight is the science of this? Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember being a little bit generous to it. I'd probably be a little harsher now. Um, yes, I do remember that with uh, with Johnny Depp, right? Right. Yeah, that was that was no good. Um, <laughs> yeah, <hopefully>. yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's um, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I do have more faith in in John in Jonathan Nolan though he's he's worked with his brother before he's got his own credits on Westworld so he's he's got talent he's he's got a sharp mind I'm gonna root for any kind of advanced sci-fi movie that's gonna challenge me and blow me away like like Nate said so yeah, yeah definitely excited for that when is that a release date August August twentieth also Sweet. I'll I'll circle back around because we are talking about the Nolans but this is Lisa Joy's movie technically she is the sole writer and director of this. So oh. Jonathan probably helps, but this is the other right. half of Westworld. We'll have to see who the more talented part is, even though Westworld kind of sucks <laughs> now, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it had its one good season. Yeah. Time will tell. All right, so for my big blockbuster, I was going to say The Suicide Squad, and now I'm kind of stuck in between two. Two movies that I think we've talked about on this podcast before. One I know we definitely have. I am going to lean. I just saw a sign on my television. I'm going to go one way. I'm going to go. I have to go with F9. Uh, I know I'm a bigger fan <laughs> of the Fast and Furious films than you guys are. The reason I'm saying that I got a sign is because, oh my God, the advertising budget for this movie right now. Yeah. You cannot escape it. It's all over New York City. It is all over television during the NBA playoffs. They have a commercial right now where, uh, do you guys know who Giannis Antetokounmpo is? Heard the name. He's like a top five basketball player. He's got brothers in the league and there's like a promo with like, family is everything and it's like them dunking a basketball <laughs> and then it's like clips from the movie and it's like jesus vin well oh. this is probably the big blockbuster to bring theaters back yes. so it makes sense that they're yeah. going ham with everything yes and, sure. and, and i think they have done a good job of selling how just how much you need to see this on a big screen and with the trailers with the addition of john cena with the hint that they're going to space uh, I don't know if this is going to be a good movie. I don't know if you could really even call any of these movies good movies, but I have a good time. I've had a good time with them for at least a decade now, and I expect to have a good time with this one. So I think this is going to bring a lot of people out in droves. The other one I was going to mention is Space Jam, but we talked enough about that when the trailer came out. <laughs> yeah, you were you were correct. I just It's not a franchise I ever fell in love with. I genuinely like the seventh one. I didn't see one through four. I just never, I just never really got into them. They're not like they're all, they're all right. I don't dislike them. I just never got invested. But I am excited to see that on the big screen, just because sweet. Like other than Kong and Godzilla, let's get some action blockbusters in the theaters back. Like I'll go see almost anything. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. My very brief thoughts on the franchise is they're the most fun when they're deliberately being silly, in my opinion. <laughs> so if you could just take Vin Diesel's character out of the equation because he's just so macho and serious all the time that it actively pisses me off watching it, <laughs> I will be I will be all on board with just like a balls to the wall, see what sticks kind of franchise that Fast is at this point. Yeah. And yeah, if we go to space in this movie instead of 10, which is hypothetically the last main that's what they say. Movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they say. They'll probably have Hobbs and Shaw spinoffs, but if they go to space in this movie, 
how the hell do you top it in the next movie? Well, Nate, like I can already, interdimensional I can time travel shizzle. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They're gonna get to an, another timeline where the Jurassic World characters exist and fight dinosaurs. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I a crossover has to be next. That's the only way you top space, in my opinion. But is this where you bring back the Twenty One Jump Street crossovers that they were trying to do with Men in Black? Just do it here. Different company, but I you, if you want to strike a. Spider-Man-esque deal. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. I'll make it happen. Yeah. I'll watch it. Another thing about Fast and Furious that'll be good for getting people back to the theaters is that this is a very diverse cast and very internationally successful. So, like, all demographics go to see the Fast and Furious movies, whereas, like, very true. a lot of people see Marvel movies, but sometimes the demographics are, like, lean a certain way. Everybody sees Fast and Furious movies. Uh, and then my sleeper hit, and this might be a, I don't want to say Stockholm Syndrome, but just beaten in submission for how many times I've seen this trailer and... Nate, you recently told me that you like timing things at the theater specifically to avoid this trailer because it was the <laughs> only thing they were showing for a while. This movie called The Night House that's coming out. Mm -hmm. It is a horror movie in mid-July. Uh, it stars Rebecca Hall. Oh, it got moved back, Drew. August 20th. Oh, did it really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, well. Still technically summer. <laughs> going up against Reminiscence. Yeah, that's actually good to hear. Okay. Same, same point. Basically, it looks like the basic way I can describe it is Rebecca Hall's husband commit suicide and there's some kind of creepy shit going on and there's some kind of mirroring of reality and there's like a a devilish version of the house or something like that it's I, i've seen the trailer 30,000 times and it's probably good that i still don't know what's going on it's very it's a very well executed trailer uh and it looks just like a genuinely creepy late uh summer fun horror movie i, I i'm looking forward to it i think it's going to be a good time hmm. have jake have you seen this trailer i know i know nate has I actually, I think I've only seen it once, opposed to Nate's experience. Well, yeah, consider yourself lucky. <laughs> it was the only thing they were showing in, th in front of things in, like, March and April, because nobody else was committing to coming back yet, so. Yeah, the only thing that I can't stand more than horror movies are horror trailers, because they're designed to scare you, and I'm just trying to, like, get amped for whatever movie I'm trying to see, and then all of a sudden it's weird, creepy faces and things popping out of the floorboards, and... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to eat my popcorn, bro. Nate's like, uh, no, show the monkey and the lizard. I don't want this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> show Please. the monkey and the lizard. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of this in particular, it's a lot of us vibes, especially with all the reflections and whatnot that's going on. Like the dead husband's hiding this dark secret and he built a whole secret separate house from his wife without her know-how somehow. Who knows? Actually, a lot of Insidious 2 vibes too. We're like, Things in other dimensions are interacting with with the one that we're watching from the character's point of view. It looks weird. It could be really good. The fact that it was originally slated for a July release and then got pushed back to August, despite having trailers since March, it feels like. Yeah. Does feel weird to me. I don't know if that's a sign of a good thing, a bad thing, or just a weird movie movie studio decision thing. I I see it as a good thing because it means they want to get it some space so it can perform and not get smothered by like Space Jam or Suicide Squad. Hmm. But but also it puts it closer to like competition too. So I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the closer you get to October, the more you have to deal with right. the Halloween movies. Well, yeah, Candyman on August 27th too as of now. So we'll see. Mm. Ooh, I crowded. just think the trailer is very effective and even though I've seen it 30 times, it still grabs my attention pretty well. So I'm excited for that. Anything else to add to this, guys? We already brought up Candyman. We, we briefly brought up Space Jam. There's a lot to be excited for. 
And movies are finally back. Summer season is here, boys. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it for Lobby Talk. Let's move into our news segment. And this just in, a news break special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. Uh, this one's going to be quick because I didn't realize off top of my head that I would, one, be going last, and two, that this would be the first news item. So we're going to talk about it really quickly. Fast 9, we just talked about it a lot. We're going to talk about it a little bit more here. It's already out internationally in some places. Uh, people have seen it. There are some reviews out. It is having this big mystery premiere at the Cannes Film Festival, all places, coming up in a couple of weeks here. I think the only thing I have to ask you guys is, like, what do you think What do you think happens at the Cannes press conference where they they finish up the, the latest uh, Nicholas Winding Refn or Bong Joon-ho movie and then they have to watch Fast, Fast 9? What questions do you think they'll have for Vin Diesel or uh, the director Justin Lin? What questions would you ask him, I guess? <laughs> what family member are you closest to, hypothetically Yeah, right. Speaking? There it is. That's the obvious <laughs> answer. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> Um, oh man, yeah, this is just hilarious. <laughs> uh, what, what in God's name is this compared to the other indies that we just saw? <laughs> it's, it's just so weird. I, I gotta, you gotta think it's probably the first John Cena movie to make it to. I, I was just gonna say, I'm, I'm assuming half of them are gonna go. Who is the villain? I don't, rec- I don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Drew. Just for our less informed audience, also myself. Like, what <laughs> movies have generally premiered at this festival? Uh, well, there's a little movie called Parasite. Uh, that won, like, <laughs> the special award for Cannes. I forget the exact award it won. Uh, but that that was where Parasite really started to pick up steam. It's So, like, some of these other movies, The Tree of Life by Terrence Malick, which was nominated for Best Picture, but is an artsy-fartsy movie. Amour, yeah. which was nominated for Best Picture, but is an artsy-fartsy movie. Blue is the Warmest Color, which is about, like, a three-hour movie about lesbian romance. Uh, the Pianist, which a big artsy movie about the Holocaust. Pulp Fiction mm. won in 1994. That's an outlier hey. a little bit. Barton Fink, uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. Movies by like Soderbergh, Tarantino. No Vin Diesel in sight in these movies, folks. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming all the critics and interviewers are going to be like, who are all of these people in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> now, 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 granted, it is it's probably playing out of competition, so it's probably not up for that award. It's just, it's just such an odd match because a lot of people were yeah. expecting like, when they said there was going to be a mystery blockbuster, they thought, oh, maybe they'll show Dune. Maybe Eternals is ready to go. Chloe Zhao, she's coming off that Oscar. That, that'd be cool. Oh, that would be really yeah, cool. Uh, uh, not the case. So, <laughs> I don't know. We just thought Who that knows? was pretty funny. Yeah. Maybe Fast 9 really is a subversive masterpiece. Just waiting to show you the deep... Uh, I, I can't even continue this. Analogy. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> losing was, steam, losing gas. I was going to say, you know, if... Just like they might be going to space, Nate, I wouldn't hold your breath. Yeah. <laughs> the deepest this movie is going to get is Vin Diesel realizing that family is more important this time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't learned that in the first eight. <laughs> this time it's personal. Yeah. Jeez right. yeah. <laughs> This time. <laughs> Not the other times. No. This time. This time. I, I do want to know how they're going to explain away the whole he loves his family, but what about his brother thing? Very curious about that, but I guess if they even if they even touch it, (laughs) yeah. Well, we'll certainly review that in the next couple episodes or so. For now, let's move on to a movie that's not coming out for a while, but let's move into something with more prestige aspirations. The next David O. Russell movie. David O. Russell was on a big role for a while. Uh, The director of The Fighter. He did Silver Linings Playbook, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, American Hustle, which is good, and Joy, which is eh. Uh, So he had his like little hot streak. He had Jennifer Lawrence along for the ride. 
Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper along for the ride. He's coming back now with this new movie. We don't have a title. We only have a synopsis. A doctor and a lawyer form an unlikely partnership. But the thing that really catches your eye is the cast for this movie. Yeah. Let me read you off the names of the people that are in this movie so far. The big the big this week hook is that Taylor Swift was added to the cast, which like give or take whether you care or not. Um, <laughs> he, he's going to yell at her like he's known to do and she's going to write a whole album about it and she's going to make millions off of it. <laughs> How long have you been workshopping that joke? That's perfect. That was good. Actually, no, I, 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 I just thought of that. But I know David O. Russell is known to be screaming and yelling at his cast, and yeah. Taylor Swift is known to not like that. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I would assume that she doesn't like getting screamed at. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She's not alone. We'll the, the, the cat, the cast is Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington, fresh off a of Tenet, Remy Malek, Zoe Saldana, Robert De Niro, Mike Myers, Timothy Oliphant, Michael Shannon. Chris Rock, Anya Taylor-Joy, Alessandra Nivola, and Matthias Schoenertz. Like, wow. Oh what, a, what a list of people. Huge. Um, yeah, I, I thought you were going to end five names ago. Yeah. <laughs> so real quickly, before we're going to play like a very quick game in a bit, uh, real quick impressions on David O. Russell and like what you've thought of his previous movies. Nate, why don't you start? Yeah, whenever you get big ensemble casts like this, my biggest fear is that instead of being introduced to characters where just get shown actors, you know, and they don't break out of their mold too much. When you have individuals like Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence in Silver Linings Playbook, they kind of fall away into their respective roles and you stop focusing on the movie star aspect of this. But when you have so many A-listers that all need so much screen time to share it kind of equally between all of them, you end up with what either is a great smorgasbord or like an all-you-can-eat buffet, then you stuff yourself on the first plate and you can't enjoy the rest of it, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, assuming that this is at the high level of quality that the actors that are signing on tend to bring, like especially Christian Bales, come on. Yeah. I don't think he's ever had a completely horrid movie. Like a couple duds here and there. Uh, Terminator but. Four, but yeah. <laughs> well, even then, he's still pretty good in that. The movie around him isn't great. Uh, uh, agree to disagree, but <laughs> okay, that's fine. Whatever. In either case, you have high quality of actors. You have a high quality project lead here. This could be really, really fun. We'll just have to wait until we get a trailer, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, Jake. I, I know you've been into these movies from him in the past. It's it's kind of like a tale of two careers, to be honest. Because he became yeah. a completely different person in 2010 when The Fighter came out. Oh, uh, I, I liked The Fighter uh, and American Hustle. I only saw one each, but I liked once each, but I liked both of them. I really, I really love Silver Linings Playbook. That's that's an amazing movie. And he does get good performances out of his actors. I know he he also has a great BoJack joke. There's your another your another bingo. Um, what should we call it? Princess Carolyn and BoJack are on are on the phone. And when BoJack picks up, all he hears is Princess Carolyn's baby crying. And then she chimes in and goes, sorry, sorry, I have the baby with me. And he goes, oh, well, yeah, I thought David O. Russell was on the phone or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I got to kick it at it because he's known to just always be yelling and always crabbing about something. But he gets huge people to keep working with him. So I guess he does something right. Um, but yeah, that being said, if this cast doesn't get you excited and this guy's previous work doesn't get you excited, drama aside, this has the makings of being really, really good and really, really interesting. Um and it also always makes me wonder when this many top-notch actors sign on, 
you got to wonder how good the script is, right? I mean, there's got to be a reason all these people are signing on for this. Yeah, unless unless there's just signing on for the notoriety of his name. But I I, th- I agree. When you yeah. look at when you look at the sheer number of people. Yeah, there must be something meaty here, mm-hmm. right? Like Chris Rock doesn't Chris Rock doesn't have to disrupt his day to go work with David O. Russell. There must be something <laughs> right. good for him. Same thing with Taylor Swift and you know a couple of other those people. Mike Myers, who hasn't worked besides Bohemian Rhapsody for a decade. Yeah, yeah that's a weird one. He sticks out. Yeah. Which, like, that, that, that's a juicy thing, too. So I want to play a quick game, guys. Uh, this is just a gut reaction, yes or no. There is a lot of, like, super team cast being built up. And keep in mind the names I just said from the David O. Russell movie. And I'll give you a movie, and I'll read, read off the cast. Is this cast better or worse than the David O. Russell movie? Basically, we're trying to figure out, like, which is the most anticipated in terms of acting going forward. Uh, so we're going to start with one coming out in October. Uh, Dune has a really good cast. It's got Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Dave Bautista, Stellan Skarsgård, Zendaya, Jason Momoa, Javier Bardem. Better or worse than David O. Russell movie, Nate? Worse, but not by much. <laughs> Jake? Agreed. Worse, but I might be more excited for it. <laughs> All the same. Right, but like mm-hmm. because of the cast or because of the... No, I, I'm excited right. for that because of, of the premise and the, the director. Mm-hmm. Uh, cast, I would say slightly worse just because... I don't know. Batista and Momoa are, aren't bad actors, but I think they're more charisma than anything. I think David O. Russell's movie has a lot more quality talent to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll sign on to that too, but also bringing up what I said earlier, where actors are disappearing into their roles, I really get that sense from Dune, especially from the costuming mm-hmm. and okay. yeah. all the stuff going on there. Yeah. Okay. These next ones, one sentence each on them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nightmare Alley from Guillermo del Toro, Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, Richard Jenkins, Ron Perlman, Rooney Mara, Dathan, David Stratham. Mm, worse. Ooh. That's an interesting one, but I'm I'm going to say a little bit worse as well. But same thing, it's close. I, I, I would agree. Just right on the border. It's very close. Uh, this is the big one that I think will determine whether it's a champion or not. Don't look up the Adam McKay movie coming out later this year. Jennifer Lawrence, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett. Rob Morgan, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill, Timothy Chalamet, Ariana Grande, Himesh Patel, Matthew Perry, Ron Perlman, Chris Evans, Mark Rylance, Michael Chiklis. Jeez. That's a tough one. Oh, you got Leo in there. And, and Leo only works like once every two years. Yeah, and, and uh, <laughs> McKay acquired Jennifer Lawrence in the trade with, from O'Russell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm slightly more excited for that. Um, and even having Adam McKay's name attached to it, too, makes a difference for me. I think he's a little bit more reliable. And I think adding Meryl Streep and Kate Blanchett is is pretty huge. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I would agree. Damn, that that's the closest one. I, I, think, I think that's the winner. I vote for that one. And then one more, Thor Love and Thunder. Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, Christian Bale, Chris Pratt, Jamie Alexander, Palm Clementif, Dave Bautista, Sean Gunn, Bradley Cooper, Vin Diesel, Jeff Goldblum. Only because we know what all those actors are already doing in the movie, save for like one or two newbies to that scene. Less excited, but that is another redonkulous, <laughs> redonkulous cast yeah. here. And that yeah, doesn't even count yeah. like the cameos from apparently Matt Damon and Melissa McCarthy and right. what, whatever's coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Taika, too. Didn't even mention Taika as an actor. Backstabber. <laughs> right. All right. The point of that conversation, a lot of good cast coming. Movies are back. Movies are so back. Woo. Thank God. Speaking of movies being back, we've got another summer movie to talk about that we didn't talk about earlier. Really comprehensive. We're going to talk about like literally everything for you guys. 
Yeah, you should tip if you get a chance. Uh, let's <laughs> let's talk about dollar. the trailer for M. Night Shyamalan's latest, Old. No kids allowed on the beach? What? Whoa. Who would leave this? Body has decomposed. How quickly can that happen? Seven years. Trent! Kara! Come here! Hey, have you seen my children? Mom? I'm, I'm right here. What's happening to us? Whatever is happening to us is happening very fast. Whoa! I'm scared! We have to get off this beach! We're here for a reason. M. Night Shyamalan has made 14 movies. 12 of them, I would say, are like mainstream, really well-known. He had two before uh, The Sixth Sense in 1999. Of, of the 14, how many are good? Mm, <laughs> Sixth Sense, yes. Unbreakable, yes. I say signs, no. What is he going to say, four? <laughs> I'm going to say five. I'll say five. All I'll right. say Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, The Visit, and Split. So maybe four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like his character from Signs, M. Night Shyamalan always swings for the fences with every movie he makes, and he misses an awful lot of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Old appears to be no exception. Uh, it is coming out in mid-July. Here's the initial premise. It premiered a trailer at the Super Bowl and has a full-length trailer out in front of a quiet place. Uh, a family on a tropical vacation discovers that the secluded beach that they are relaxing on for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. Creepy, effective, Explanation-wise, we'll have to see how it goes. It's got Gail Garcia Bernal. It's got Vicky Crepes from uh, Phantom Thread. Uh, it's got Alex Wolf, Eliza Scanlon. And for the second straight episode, I get to talk about Thomas and Mackenzie. So that's exciting. Um, hmm. Solid cast. You've got the premise, Jake, but you've mm-hmm. also got M. Night. Right. Who is definitely at a better spot than he was in the early 2010s. Let's hope. But what does that mean? What are your general impressions seeing this trailer? I will. I don't think I will ever not be intrigued by M Night just because the things he's accomplished. I mean, obviously you got to factor in his lows, but his highs are pretty high. So I will always be intrigued by him. Also, like because like Nate said, he always swings for the fences. So even if it's bad, it's going to be an interesting talkative bad. But that being said, the trailer I think same thing looks interesting. Uh, very interesting premise per usual. I also think it it feels a little bit tense. You know, like I could see when people discover what's going on or what what's starting to go on, getting tense and, you know, inducing panic. So I hope he can nail all that as a director. And I'm already very excited to see what his twist is because you know it's coming. Yeah, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing is another thing. Well, right, exactly. Night twist, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's actually what I was going to start with here, Jake, because part of me almost wishes he just didn't feel compelled to make twists at the end of his movies anymore. And he could just nail the concept because this is a really cool concept. Yeah. A beach shortening your lifespan and like just trying to figure out the mystery around it. It doesn't need to have a whole gotcha twist at the end. You can just make a good horror thriller movie of these characters going through this very traumatic experience. Yeah. um, And however he wants to do it. The trees don't need to be the cause of this, or the coral reef isn't what's making it happen. Weird toxins in the <laughs> I, air. Like, I swear to f- 
if it's a coral reef, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna rip the cushion off the movie theater seat and throw it at the screen. It's gonna be the sand. It's coarse and rough, and it gets everywhere. Stop it! <laughs> Don't give him ideas. God, he can still no. edit the movie at this point. He needs to just lock. No, it no, in. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> yeah, I really think the twist ending moniker that's just been so. Attached to his name for the last couple decades has actually killed his career. I think he just needs to sit and execute, and there's no gotcha. It's the same issue that the Game of Thrones writers had, you know? Subverting expectations does not make your movie better. So whatever he's got planned, just follow through and don't try to throw your audience a weird boomerang instead of a bone. <laughs> just let it happen. And Jake, you mentioned the cast. A problem with M. Night's movies is his direction of actors, so I hope he gets good performances out of people. Yeah. I mean, that comes and goes. Like, James McAvoy, by sure will, was fantastic. And yeah, he was great. But, like, you, you see how he tanked Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel, who are not awful <laughs> actors, in The Happening. So it's a matter of, like, it, tone is going to be so important here, and Nate, you're right, the structure of the story is going to be vital. Because what? If, no. If, if, if you pull out, <laughs> if you pull the rug out from under the audience and it doesn't need that, so you're just left with like a pile of trash. Like <laughs> it just, it just needs to, it needs to have good payoff for this good concept. And th- I mean, that's, you can say that about all of M. Night's movies and his success rate leaves a lot to be desired at points. Um, but I'm excited based on the concept. And Jake, you're right. His name has kind of earned it to the point where he can just be attached, you know, and you'll get some kind of excitement from it or some kind of intrigue. Because that's the thing. Even even when they're when they're bad or ridiculous, like The Happening, like we've just been referencing, we still talk about it because of how utterly bad and ridiculous it was. Mm-hmm. At the best, we get Sixth Sense, which we'll be talking about forever. And at the worst, we're still getting movies that we're talking about for a while. So if, I'm intrigued one way or another, but I hope it's good. Yeah. Me too. I am excited for this as yeah, much I as am. I was pooping on his career for a minute there. (laughs) He is one of the most unique minds in film. For better or for worse, he is absolutely extraordinary and unique with everything that he does. So let's hope this is a a win and not a loser. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's must-see no matter what it is, so we'll give it a chance. July 23rd, I believe, is the day that Old is coming out to theaters uh, everywhere. So you can check it out then. Let's move to a horror movie that's out right now. Let's move into our feature review of A Quiet Place, part two. What the hell happened? A bomb, I think. I don't know why he came all the way up here. There's nothing left. Quiet Place Part 2 is the second film in what appears to be a trilogy now. They've said that a third film is in development. Um, Directed by John Krasinski, written by John Krasinski. It's the follow-up to the 2018 original, which was a massive hit. Like, I remember us talking about it a little bit, like, off mic in the beginning of 2018. Something to look forward to. Uh, It made $150 million. It was was a huge hit in the United States. One of the biggest, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest horror hits ever. 
And for good reason, because that movie is excellent, in my opinion. It's one of my favorite horror movies ever. It is a singular concept taken to its extreme really well, uh, which made me worried about returning to it. There, there's no way to talk about this movie, even non-spoiler, without getting into spoilers for the first movie, because it takes place right after. So if you've not seen the first A Quiet Place, you should watch it. It's a good movie. Uh, but tune out for a couple seconds. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read the synopsis here. Following the events at home, the Abbott family, now sans John Krasinski, uh, who died uh, at the end, sacrificing himself at the end of A Quiet Place to protect his kids. Uh, you've got Emily Blunt. Uh, you've got Millicent Simmons, uh, who is an actual deaf actress playing a deaf character. And you've got Noah Jupe. And you've got their little baby, their little babe, who was born in the middle of the first <laughs> film in an absolutely terrifying scene. Uh, they are leaving their farm home uh, and trying to figure out what's going on in the outside world. They come across an old ally uh, played by Stillian Murphy. Remember, at the end of the first one, they found out a way to beat these creatures who listen to sound and hunt by sound, and now they're going to try to utilize that and get that message out to people. It's basically the basic premise. It ends up being kind of a... What feel, it feels like an episode of A Quiet Place season. Is it a good or bad episode? Is that a good or bad thing? Does this movie deliver on what you wanted it to deliver on? Uh, Nate, what did you think of A Quiet Place Part 2? All right, yeah. Uh, in terms of the first Quiet Place, I do thoroughly enjoy the movie. I don't think it's perfect. I don't think I would call it my one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Um, but it is, like you said, Drew, a really cool, creative concept, and they run with it in really creative ways to tie it all into a very nice, tight package. Uh, so when you have a nice, tight package, do you need a second one? And <laughs> I think I think <laughs> this movie answers that question pretty confidently. I think they did a good job setting up more of this world, more of these characters, and more stuff to do in a way that didn't cheapen the original, which is honestly all I really had hoped for. I don't think it's as good of the first one because it loses a little bit of that novelty, but it really isn't that far off. Um, and like the characters are still fun, the monsters are still really scary, um, and even though we know what they look like now and how they operate, they're still creative ways that they implement them and the worlds that you have to navigate all silently. Um, we won't go from like scary house to giant warehouse factory in this one. There's more on the road segments this time around. And all in all, it just kept a good concept and took it in new directions. It was a pretty solid sequel. So color me fairly happy with quiet place part two. Jake, what about you? Yeah, same. I, I like the first A Quiet Place. I didn't fall in love with it like some people did. Not adding you, just in general, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I do think it's good. Same thing, really good concept. Uh, well done. There was just some some nitpicky things for me that added up in the first one. But as far as A Quiet Place 2 goes, I liked it. I had a really good time with it. I liked them similarly, for sure. Um, but some of the things that this one does compared to the first one, I don't know, some, sometimes better, sometimes worse. I, I think you do miss John Krasinski's character for sure. But I do like Cill Cillian Murphy quite a bit. Um, and I like that whole storyline of, I mean, we, we'll go more into it, but the thing that they do with him and, and John Krasinski's daughter in this movie, I like that whole storyline. And I like the the direction it takes. I like the adventures they end up going on. Uh, I like all the character work. Like for a horror movie that is 
not a lot of dialogue. It's pretty well written and it's definitely well directed. Like I'm really enjoying seeing Krasinski's career take off in different ways. I think he, I think he acts well in the first A Quiet Place and the little bit that he's in this one. Uh, I think he's directing and writing really well. Like I'm excited to see where else he goes. Um, yeah, overall, well done. I like The Quiet Place too for sure. And there's only so much I could say without spoilers, so I'm excited to go in further. Uh, I think I echo a lot of what you guys were saying. Uh, I think I was a little higher on the first one, uh, yeah. but I think I am with you guys on the second one. So, it, so it's a bigger step down for me. But that is not that is by far not a negative. Like the first film is a royal throne for me. Like it, it is. I was astonished by how much I enjoyed that movie and how much it affected me emotionally. This one is just a really good exercise in tension. It does a lot of the same stuff that the first film did in terms of how it manipulates sound, how it looks. This movie is gorgeous. It was very clearly shot on film as opposed to digital. As you can tell from the grainy, you know, physicality of the image and the frame. And it's very clear that Krasinski, he's talked a lot about how this movie is like his Jaws which obviously he, if he grew up with Jaws, it was such a big deal to him growing up. And so many people of his age growing up and seeing a movie of that caliber of suspense just take over the history of film and just to have your chance to make a film of that kind of caliber and of that kind of style uh, is terrific. This movie is really well paced. It's really well directed. The acting actually even takes a step up, I think, from the first one, particularly from the children. Mm. Second there. Millicent Simmons, who I was impressed with in the first film. I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say she takes on a bigger role here. And I I thought she was terrific. She does so much with obviously not being able to use her voice as a deaf person growing up in this world. Yeah. Uh, She is just excellent. And I I also was very impressed with Noah Jupe, uh, who didn't have as much to do in the first one, but gets gets to step up here a little bit. Emily Blunt kind of recedes into the background a little bit. But yeah. still, still does some really good work. And I think that's a very conscious decision by the movie. I want to get into in spoilers to talk about why they did that scripting-wise. There are a couple of things. Jake was talking about nitpicky things that bothered him in the first one. I didn't really have those. I did have them here. They're, they're like typical horror movie things. But overall, I was very satisfied. I, I think this was a really solid and welcome sequel, especially given how often things like these go wrong. We've talked about this numerous times, sequels just trying to replicate the first or even going off on their own path and not even feeling like the first. This hits like a really nice sweet spot where it feels like its own thing, but it also feels like a nice continuation. And it makes you excited for what's coming up next. Hmm. Yeah, and agreed. It's, it's. I remember when they announced a sequel, I was kind of like, oh, all right, I guess I'm not surprised it did really well at the box office. We'll see what happens. It was very justified. Like you were saying, very justified sequel. It didn't feel forced. Like the story went in a natural and interesting direction. Or a lot of that works because of the adventures they go on and the character work that they do. So, yeah, well done. And if they can keep this up, I'm excited for a third. I want to talk about Cillian Murphy a little bit. Both as an actor, for those of you who don't know, he's probably best known as a Christopher Nolan collaborator. Uh, well, actually, he's probably best known for a show I don't even watch. Uh, people are obsessed with Peaky Blinders. Yeah. I've never I've never seen that show, <laughs> but he is apparently the, the lead in that. Uh, I know him best as Jonathan Crane from Batman Begins. Uh, he plays a big role in Inception, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. he's a big role in Dunkirk, but like he is such an integral part to this movie and he kind of steps in for Krasinski's role because we see Krasinski at the beginning when they do the prologue of how things got to this point, which we'll, again, we'll get into the specifics of that later. But do you think he was able to fill that role well? Do you think he plays kind of a different role, Nate? Uh, but he's definitely going for a different role, my opinion. Um, but it's very 
referential to John's role. They they talk about the dad character from the first movie all over the place in this movie, almost to the point where it got annoying for me. Um, like they they talk about like how great of a dad he was and like how he was in the community and that sort of thing. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. We only really got to know him from the first movie um, and like the little bit that they add to the prologue here. And yeah, he's he's a cool character, but he's not like the epitome of fatherhood <laughs> that they build him up to here. So Cillian Murphy's character definitely references Lee a lot in this movie, but his role is definitely much more of I want to say like the like the cynical man yeah. in this in this movie. Like if you were living through like we all did quarantine or something like that and you just lost faith in the world because it's overrun by monsters or whatever, you would probably act a lot more like Cillian Murphy's character than John Krasinski's. And that was a nice little yin yang, if you will, mm-hmm. um, going from the first movie to the second movie. And I thought he did a good job here. Yeah. I, we don't all have the luxury of living on a secluded farm uh, away from everything going on. And Jake, that kind of speaks to the movie's overall point, which is everybody's experience during this kind of apocalypse would be so different. Absolutely. And just everybody's outlook, too. We talked a little bit about how things landed for you in terms of those kind of themes and stuff. I, I was I was kind of up and down. I kind of agree with what Nate was saying in terms of Krasinski. Uh, but you kind of felt something different, which is surprising because you weren't as into the emotional catharsis of the first one than as, as I was. Um, yeah, it just... And it wasn't that the first one did anything wrong as much as it just didn't hit me in the gut like it did you, I think. Even though he's not in the movie other than in the beginning... I think they utilize his character well. And I know what you mean. They do bring him up a lot. The movie's only like, it's just over an hour and a half. That's not a lot of time to bring up a character so many times. But you're right. Cillian Murphy is like similar but different to Krasinski's character in the sense that him and um, the daughter do end up kind of having this relationship. But it's very clear he's not the same, but he's still doing his best. He's still trying. And I think he gets that inspiration and influence from that daughter character. She kind of brings out the best in him when he was really cynical. And I thought a lot of that really worked. Yeah. So I think that's a good pivot point for spoilers, probably, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'll say so. All right, let's go, let's go into our ratings here. If you're just joining the middle seats for the first time, we operate on a seat scale uh, and rate movies on a seat scale. If we think a movie is, like, perfect, like I thought of A Quiet Place, I didn't really have any issues with it. I gave it a royal throne. Uh, if we think a movie is great and has minimal flaws, we give it a plush recliner. If we think a movie is really good with pretty sizable flaws, we give it a wooden seat. Inverse of that, if a movie is not great but has some decent things in it, damn blonde chair, movie's awful, we give it a sleazy outhouse. Uh, bag of popcorn, little check mark goes next to the movie if we think you should see it in theaters. Uh, I had a really great experience with the first A Quiet Place in theaters. Nate, should people see this in theaters? Slash, you seem to have liked it. I think I have an idea of what you're going to give it. <laughs> well, let's start with the rating first. Um I would probably give the first Quiet Place a plush recliner. I did thoroughly enjoy it. This this sequel is pretty close, but not quite as good as the first one. So I'm teeter-tottering a little bit here. I think just based on cool concept and good execution, I'm going to give Quiet Place Part 2 the plush recliner as well. But this is definitely much more in the middle when the first one is a very solid plush recliner. In terms of theater experience, 
you'll probably know your area a little bit better. There are going to be lots of quiet scenes in your movie. And the first one did a great job. The sound design here is really incredible. So if you can get the good screen, like especially an IMAX or Dolby or whatever you have, but any movie theater um, screen and sound system, it's going to be a phenomenal experience. I think my only little caveat there is if you know that your local theater has a lot of talkers or murmurers in the crowd, this movie can really suffer from that. So I'll put that little asterisk there, but for the most part, highly recommend you see this in a theater, uh, just to your own discretion in terms of your locale. Jake, how was your experience? Uh, I did have to shush people on two different occasions. Um, and Andrew knows I'm not afraid to do it. <laughs> I think I think there were like teenagers. They were sitting right behind me because of, of course, somehow that always happens. Um, but I had to trust them a couple of times. Somebody else did too. And then that's that's the whole thing. It's it's just annoying when, especially when a movie is designed to be quiet, stop giggling and narrating the movie as it's happening. Like if you're one of those people who do this and you're listening to this, I'm telling you now, stop it. That being said... I would give this movie a bag of popcorn. You should see it in theaters because it does, like Andrew said, it does visually look really good. And like Nate was saying, the sound design is also really, really well done. Um, so definitely bag of popcorn. See this in theaters if you can, which movies are back. A lot of us are vaccinated. Go see it. Um, and I'm going to go with Plush Recliner as well. I think both of these movies are kind of low-end plush recliners for me. I didn't fall in love with either of them. And I like them similarly but differently, you know, like for different reasons. But they're both good. They're both well done. Neither one are perfect, but both quality and worth the watch. So yeah, plush recliner, bag of popcorn. Even if you're not a big horror guy like Nate, I still think this is a good one. It's not overly scary. It's it's tense and it's thrilling, but it's it's not overly scary. It's a good balance, honestly. It's a good balance. It's got some adventure in it. It's a good time. It's a good watch. Yeah, uh, I echo a lot of what everybody's saying here. As I've said like four times now, the original is a royal throne for me. This is just a plush recliner, but it's still a very solid recommendable one. Uh, I think there is a lot to commend Krasinski for not falling into the traps of sequelitis, uh, and there's a lot to commend the cast for for finding new avenues with their performances. Yeah, this is just a, it's just a really effective film for what it's trying to do. Uh, I want to once again shout out the score by Marco Beltrami uh, because I found that again very butt clench inducing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's not a lot of sound in the rest of the movie, but the score is working overtime to you know, pull you in and grab you with the tension and stuff like that. And that's just a really good way to describe how this movie's technical elements work in unison to make for just a very enjoyable experience. Uh, I don't think this is as emotionally effective as the first one, but I do think it is as resonant. I'm still thinking about it like over a week and a half after seeing it. Uh, And I I have toyed with seeing it again uh, because I think... It is such a compact and quick experience, too. Uh, and I, I would agree. Make sure that you get a good audience for this. Don't be afraid to speak up. I was do. I actually did some shushing, Jake. I, there you uh, go. I, I was uh, hey, there not, you go, not loud, not loud, uh, but enough that people heard me. Like, dude, it's called a quiet place. Like, come on. Like, yeah, <laughs> this is not your living room. I know people are out of practice now, but come on. Come on. No, no, no. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't backtrack and defend them. We all know how to how to act in movie theaters. We're not idiots. It's true. Yeah, I mean... Well, yeah. they are idiots, but they still know how to act in movie theaters. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Anyway, so three plus recliners across the board. Uh, if you haven't gotten the hint yet, Quiet Place Part 2 is very much worth seeing in theaters. Uh, so give that a chance if, if you can. 
That'll move us into our spoiler section. If you have seen the movie, join us there uh, because we're going to be talking about some specifics. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert. I think I think where I want to start, guys, is the beginning. Uh, because, you know, I think there's always a little bit of nervousness for me when we have some kind of post-apocalyptic concept and we see how said thing came to be. Because oftentimes it's not as satisfying as you want it to be. I thought he did a great job with this opening, both in the way yeah. he shot it and both in the way that he escalates the tension of what the hell is going on, you know? Can you yeah, imagine no, how chaotic that would be? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think it was one of the strongest scenes in the movie, for sure. If not the strongest scene, in all honesty. Like, yeah. The idea of everyone at a baseball game looking up and going like, I don't know what I should be doing. I just can't be here right now. Yeah. Escalating to people running and... Um, getting in cars and driving off as fast as they can just felt so raw and real. Yeah. That had some of the best sound design in the movie because they kind of like use the audio level as your kind of character indicator, if you will, where depending on how loud the voice voices were or what you were hearing was which character we're focused on, whether it was John Trzynski's dad character or uh, the deaf daughter character. Uh, and just switching constantly between all that and all the chaos just was completely um, enveloping. You know, I was wrapped up in that moment. I forgot I was in a movie theater for a little bit. Those kind of moments are always so awesome to be in. Yeah. And I, I really love that he, he took his time with it, too. It wasn't just like... He shows up to the baseball game and stuff starts falling out of the sky. Like he's saying hello to people. He's grabbing fruit from a marketplace. Like it really, he captures the whole day, the whole essence, the whole tone. And then a little bit into the scene. And then all of a sudden, everybody just looks up to the sky and is like, right. Like nobody's running at first, but it's clear you should probably get out of here. And yeah. then mm -hmm. the panic induces. Yeah. It's just so well paced. It's so well done. Like Drew was saying earlier, like, Masterclass of tension there, just like Jaws. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, good for good for Krasinski. And I, I think what these two movies do really well, and it's a phrase I've been searching for this entire time talking about it, it weaponizes things that are just normal in our everyday life. Like when that cell phone goes off when they're hiding in the bar or the coffee shop or whatever, it, it's a sound you hear all the time. It's just like, oh my God, this is, and as effective and as ruthless as these creatures are, like Nate said, by the way, CGI looks way better in this one. Clearly got an upgrade of a budget. Uh, and oh, the fact that they're showing them during the day I mean, it says all I need to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like, so in the first one, like a lantern falls over and it makes the loudest glass breaking sound you've ever yeah. heard in your life. Uh, in this one, a cell phone goes off and it like costs the entire bar except for Krasinski and Simmons their lives, basically. Uh, and another point later in the movie, uh, Millicent's character is trying to sneak into a radio booth and she puts her foot down very slowly on a piece of paper and if she slides over and kicks like I forget if it's a cup or something over it could be the end like you have to watch your step everywhere you go and yep. those kind of mm -hmm. focuses are such they're small they seem small but they're really so crucial to how the whole piece plays in terms of how scary it is and, and intense it is yeah he does a great job at making like very small little details very important because any sound can be can be it 
I guess to pivot a little bit here, also toward the opening, when they're leaving that house and they find the big kind of warehouse factory place, they, they spring a trap and bottles shake and it's really loud and they realize, great, and they have to run. And then the kid gets caught in a bear trap and obviously he's oh, going to scream. Was gruesome. So brutal. You, you, oh there's no God. possible way you don't scream in pain and terror from that. But at the same time, you're like, oh my God, this like this is just, this is the worst scenario possible. This is just the worst. Like, you already know it's coming because you sprung the first trap. Now you're in a bear trap and you're screaming. Like, there was a slight part of me that was like, I know Emily Blunt as his mom is not going to let him go. But there's a little part of me that was like, Maybe they do. He's a goner, this kid. Like, I don't, I don't right, know what they, happens. They have, the, they have the infant, too. Like, Yeah, there's two other kids to protect. Mm-hmm. What do you do? This kid's in a bear trap. He's screaming. It's over. Like, I don't know. It's really tough. By the way, very well-behaved baby, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of, that's like kind of the nitpicky things you have to get past uh, a little bit. I mean, you have to get past that in the first one, too, when she gives childbirth, but... Mm. Or and the fact that the waterfall was right there and they didn't just decide, oh, let's live here. This feels a little bit better. That kind of stuff. I think with the horror genre, in order for plots to happen, characters need to make some stupid decision or at least suboptimal decisions here and there. And I think this movie and the original, and honestly, I feel like a lot of good horror movies of the last five years have gotten just better at making those decisions feel more genuine. There aren't too many moments of like, why are you going into the basement? It's clearly haunted. Don't move into the house that has already killed five people. That's happening less and less, which makes me feel really good for horror. Yeah. And shocking. It took this long. (laughs) Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Good characters make good movies. (laughs) Um, I'm okay. Giving a movie like a couple passes for stuff like this um, in order to get the plot going when they don't feel so out of left field. And I think this movie does a good job with that as well. Yeah, I did. I do think there was more of that stuff here than in the first one. And that was a, that was kind of an issue I was finding. Maybe it was because I wasn't as into the relationships between the characters. There's a point where Noah Jupe is just walking around Cillian Murphy's place for like no real reason. And it's kind of like, just just stay down there, man. Like, you know... It's safe down in the furnace area, which if we're, if we're getting into another ingenious idea, how about adding the extra danger of suffocation to this entire ordeal? What, what a brilliant concept yeah. to add that, mm. add that furnace as a both a safe haven and kind of a ticking clock of doom as well. Yeah. But my point is it's safe down there. Like, where <laughs> are you going, yeah. man? And then he, of course, he finds the creature and he has to sprint back downstairs. That was something that I was actually really worried about this movie for was part of the appeal of horror movies. Um, like the first half of the movie, generally, you don't know the rules. So anything can happen. And like especially ghost movies, like <laughs> the Conjuring movies that, thank God, we are hopefully aren't reviewing. Um, <laughs> the ghost can just do whatever they want for the first half of the movie. And then as the characters know more, the audience is a little bit more relieved because they can kind of expect what to happen. That's what the first Quiet Place did too, where we knew the rules of what these monsters could do, but we as the audience didn't know what they looked like or did to people yet. Seeing that play out over the course of the movie made them terrifying up until the point where we were shooting them with shotguns. So when we start this movie as a sequel, the stakes already feel lower because you have a way to kill them 
and you already know how these monsters move and act. So what's there to be surprised about? So adding stuff like the furnace scene or a bear trap or bad human characters um, like those river people yeah. added extra little bits of tension to add on to the stakes rather than keeping the momentum from the same movie. Yeah, it's a good point. Very quick performance there by Scoop McNary, too, by the way. He's one of those river people. I didn't even recognize that was him because I, I, I know who that is. I'm surprised I didn't recognize him. That's pretty funny. So as far as Cillian Murphy's character goes, and I, I know what you guys mean. It could be a little bit annoying sometimes, but they hold John Krasinski's character up on this pedestal kind of. And I get he just died. So they're still grieving. They're still mourning. They're remembering all the good stuff about him. So like, I get why they would feel that way and act that way. And Cillian Murphy's just kind of like, listen, I'm... I'm lucky to be alive. Everybody I know and care about is dead. And in his experience, all the people that are still around are usually not good people anymore. They've had to make some bad decisions to stay alive, and that's affected them. They're not good people. That starts to change when he meets this family. The daughter, Millicent, starts to bring out um, better qualities in him where he's helping her. He's, he agrees with her mission, and he's risking his life to help her. And there comes a point where he's trying to do the right thing, but he's just not as capable or heroic as John Krasinski's character in the first one, but with his help, she fulfills her mission and becomes just like her dad. And I think all of that ends up working so well because they both get really good arcs and it just is timed so well with the ending where both kids are the heroes of the story, basically. They both defeat their monsters in a really, I thought, I'm not an expert on editing like you guys are, but a pretty well edited and well paced and well built with tension sequence where both of them are are overcoming their fear and realizing how to beat the monsters and then doing it. Yeah. And I just thought all that was done so well. Clearly passing the torch to the new blood there. Absolutely. That was the movie's masterpiece, in my opinion. That was just like a flawless execution of editing, and you completely understand what he's trying to do. Yeah. That's that's the coda on the film, too. And it it does work, because both the parents throughout both movies are just leading by example and showing how to survive and how to live and, and what to do and how to best handle situations. And these kids finally get there and it's so rewarding. It's really well earned. Satisfying too. Yeah. yeah. In in terms of Krasinski's character, as opposed to Cillian Murphy's character, uh, I think what, what they do with Krasinski's character here actually kind of lessens him in the first one. They portray him to be this kind of like angelic, like did no wrong, had all of his moral <laughs> priorities on straight. And that makes him more two dimensional Listen, he's taking care of his family, but he's not gonna he's not gonna go out of his way to help anybody else. Like remember remember when they encounter that old man in the forest and that old man he like he like tries to commit suicide by screaming and there, yeah, there yeah. there's no intention to help him. There's only an intention to to save his son. You know what I mean? But like mm-hmm. it, the way it sounds like the way that they're describing him, he, I mean I'm not saying he wasn't a good man. Like we just I just never got that impression and the way they talk about him. A hundred percent agree, Drew. Like he he's like hometown hero. And we get a little bit of that from the prologue of this one, but that wasn't enough to just be constantly referencing him the whole way over. And I think part of it just turns me off because he both wrote and starred and yeah. directed. It just seems like he's he's patting himself on the back a little too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. We got to wrap up soon. Jimon Hansu we haven't even talked about at all. Because he's only uh, in it for five minutes. Which, I that was a surprise for me. I thought he was going to have a bigger role. Yeah, me too. I did feel like they wasted him a little bit. Uh, I get the point of his character. He's just kind of like a plot device, though. Yeah. Yeah, I would second that. The The town was a little weird. 
I, I think the movie was trying to explain it like it needed to hide this riddle to come to the island so that way everybody didn't do it and you avoided that like fairy incident that's referenced where just everyone was trying to get off the coast and everybody died because of the monsters kind of thing. Yeah. But having like a riddle over the radio just seemed kind of, I don't know, like adventure movie-ish for me and that's not the realistic tone that everything else was. And then for everyone on the island to just completely forget all the monster rules, it's only been, what, like half a year in movie time? I forget exactly. I think they said it was about a year. I think a little bit over a year, year. yeah. Okay, like, I don't know, it felt out of universe. It felt like its own I did kind of like that that premise, though, because I've always thought about that in, uh, in zombie movies. Like, I'm assuming zombies don't swim. So that would be the that would be the first thing that I would do. Get get a boat, find an island somewhere, and then make trips back and forth with the boat. So when they introduced that, I was like, cool. I like that idea. I like the fact that they incorporated it. But I agree, mm-hmm. the execution could have been done a little bit better. Um, but I still I, f- I feel like I still kind of got it because there's probably only so many humans left in the world at this point. So if they if they make it a riddle. Every you know, a little bit by bit, people will probably start to find this island, and it becomes a sanctuary. And I think it's a, I thought it was a pretty neat idea, but I know what you mean. It's a little different in tone, but I still kind of like it. Could came up with a slightly better riddle. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say they're they're looking for only the quiz masters to survive. Apparently, that's true. Mm-hmm. That is true. Yeah. Yeah, which I mean, whatever. <laughs> so like the movie ends, they have the broadcast signal out with her hearing aid to basically play on a frequency if you want to defeat these monsters. I want to wrap up by talking about where we think this is going to go from here. So there, there's there's two different movies, I think, in development, if I understand correctly. There's a proper third Quiet Place movie, and then there's a spinoff being directed by Jeff Nichols, who's a great director in his own right. He made Mud and Midnight Special, and he's done a lot of really good things in his career. Where do, Where is a third proper Quiet Place movie going to go? All right, so the first movie ends with them defeating one monster. The second one is a way for them to defeat probably like, I don't know, a, a zip code's worth of monsters. So is the third movie going to be them trying to rid the world of monsters? That seems like the logical next step for me. Or I don't know if this franchise has like the the cojones to be like, we got to save the world here. But that seems what it's trying to build itself up to. So we'll see if our leads can handle that type of endgame stakes and whether this doesn't feel too corny. Jake, you said war, and I mean, like, this has been such a personal story up to this point. Can they pull that off? No, I I was, I don't think it's going to be an actual war. Um, but I kind of agree with what Nate said, because I guess kind of like a war tactic, you know, like like some people in, invented guerrilla warfare to win wars. They're going to have to invent some kind of thing where they blast sound at them, and then somebody ambushes the monsters and takes them out with guns and start that kind of thing, I guess. Probably pretty violent. <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's how I would imagine it going, and then they probably figure out a way to evacuate monsters out of out of a town and make one whole town a safe haven. And then they broadcast that to the whole state and states nearby and things like that. And then eventually has a ripple effect throughout the world. And that's how the movie ends, something like that. Yeah. So that what's, that's what makes me nervous a little bit because I'm kind of like mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's so different from everything they've done at this point. They, they've earned my trust a little bit. Like, cause I didn't think they could even make a second one work very well and they found a way to do it, but they, yeah. but, but it wasn't because they, they didn't divert too far from what they'd been doing before. That sounds like it would be a big diversion. Agreed. Um, 
So we'd have to see. I you gotta end. I guess you gotta end trilogies. I, I you can't just like leave it at this point these days. I want Krasinski back though. But I I don't know if he's gonna want to do it. It's a thing. I I'm gonna have to. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna have to wait and see on that one. I think. Yeah. I think my one like special request, John, if you're a listener, is <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see like variations of the monster. You know, like in zombie movies, you get different tiers of zombie. I would be okay with seeing like if these are really alien creatures, maybe they got different types of xenomorphs just waiting in the wings. Like we have aquatic ones or uh, there's an um, overlord like somewhere, like really big ones. I don't know. Like we know what the monsters look like now from two movies. So their horror luster is a little bit lost now. So I'd, I'd like true. to be surprised or freaked out or scared by something something new, but still in the same quiet place world. My two cents. And it can't just be it can't just be a bigger one. It's got to be more creative than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would hope so. Nate's yeah. like just do everything Army of the Dead didn't do. and explain the gosh darn robot zombies damn it (laughs) yeah uh all right i think we should wrap up here with our quiet place part two review nate you're on a roll why don't you give your final thoughts all righty yeah i i was pleasantly surprised that this one was able to to stand to the first one which again which a creative movie in its own right that despite some horror tropes and some like weird faulty logic that you can find in any movie if you stare at it long enough was still an entertaining good ride um, that focused more on suspense and thrills and less on just creepy horror and jump scares, which I always appreciate as the scaredy cat of the group here. So Quiet Place Part 2 was a very solid sequel, um, very much on board with this, and call me optimistic to see where the third movie goes. I just hope that it keeps the same momentum that this that this sequel had. Um, all in all, heartily recommend Part 2. And let's kick off the summer season with more good movies like this. Yeah, pretty pretty much the same. Um, pleasantly surprised, uh, excited for Krasinski and and you know the cast that he's working with here as a whole. Um, I liked all of the acting. I like Krasinski's writing and directing. I didn't think it was a necessary sequel. They proved me wrong. Uh, I thought it was totally justified, well earned. Uh, I really care about these characters even more now. Hel- held up to the original, which was already very creative, and quite literally original it was a very different kind of concept and yeah it was really well done and i hope we can keep getting horror movies like this you know not only like yes original in concept but also well executed you know like i don't want horror movies that are just like we went through this phase of horror movies that were just jump scares and people being idiots and i'm glad we're moving away from that so yeah quiet place 2 is a breath of fresh air it's officially a pretty good horror franchise i'm officially on board for for a sequel and i'm cool with where wherever they're gonna go they have my trust now go see it I think we've seen a big trend now in the last five to ten years, like Jake is saying, where horror movies have become more conscious of what they need to do to be good movies, too. And I think the Quiet Place duo here uh, are the poster boys for how you do the mainstream version of these horror movies, like Beyond, like an It Follows, or The Witch, or... Ari Aster and Jordan Peele's movies. Uh, Right, so Get Out and Us are also good examples of that. But what I'm saying is, like, A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2 or like blockbusters at this point that, you know, Krasinski is so good at developing tension like they used to do in the 70s and the 80s before they had these jump scare heavy films, but also finding a way to weave the story in and make you invested in the story. Do I think this one is as good as the first? No. But do I think it is more than worthy as a follow-up? Yes, and I think you should see it. And I think all of us would agree that A Quiet Place Part Two 
is very good. I thought I had something else, but let's end this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Nayla and Garini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Like a DJ would say, we've got banger after banger after banger coming, guys. We are so excited for the reviews we've got coming for you up in the next few weeks. Some big blockbusters, some baller reviews. We are very excited. Uh, if you have missed anything we've done in the last few months, please check that out, of course. Like Nate was saying, you can find us all over there. That'll do it for tonight's episode. For Nate Longarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Ojay. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. Let's all go to the lunch.